Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Thursday, September the 28th, 2023. It's the 25th Thursday in Ordinary Time. It's also the feast of Good King Wenceslaus. Our reading today is from the gospel according to St. Luke. Herod the Tetrarch heard all about heard about all that was happening. And he was greatly perplexed because some were saying, John has been raised from the dead. Others were saying, Elijah has appeared. Still others, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. But Herod said, John, I beheaded. Who then is this about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. As I read this reading, I'm thinking about all the different people out there in the world, some of whom I know very well, who never make it to Jesus. Now, who am I to judge? I And I mean that sincerely. I'm not just quoting, you know, somebody here. Uh, but who am I to judge as far as the, the end of their life and what happens in, that, in those final moments and if they do apologize for their sins and if they do say, God help me and Jesus is able to save them and maybe they spend a long time in purgatory. I mean, who knows? And we pray for people to find the Lord, we pray for conversions and we most especially pray for the dead, the dying, and just those, you know, people who don't know Jesus to find him before it's too late. And so, yes, there's deathbed conversions and those kinds of things. But what I'm thinking of is all the people that I know who don't find Jesus, who are not close to Jesus, and yet There's openness there. There's a desire there. I'm not talking about the people who were just like, oh, I hate God. I hate religion. I used to be Catholic and I don't want to be that anymore because I just hate it and I'm not making any effort. I'm talking about people who struggle in life and struggle with faith and struggle with maybe mental health sometimes and struggle with pain in their lives, maybe even abuse and who just don't get there. They don't get to Jesus. And when you try to tell them about the Lord, just they come up with excuses or there's just some reason. I think of one good friend who says, well, I don't go to church because my husband doesn't go. Otherwise, I would go. And I'm like, really? Okay. I don't know. I mean, is that in a sense, maybe she even thinks she's being a dutiful wife, you know, even though objectively speaking, the best thing you can do for your husband is go to church and pray for him. But maybe she feels, well, this is what he wants and I'm supposed to be a good wife. And I mean, yeah, you know, there's a hierarchy of values here. It is good to follow your vocation and to be faithful to your spouse. But at the same time, yes, faithfulness to God does come first. We can agree on that objectively speaking. But even there, I would say, well, then what really is the problem? What is the trigger? What's the draw? What's or the trigger that's lacking, the draw that's lacking? Herod was trying to see Jesus. Was he? The Bible says he was, and the Bible doesn't lie. But was he? I have trouble believing Herod was trying to see Jesus. If he really wanted to see Jesus, go see him. Why didn't he go see him? It says Herod kept trying to see Jesus. Herod was curious. Herod was wondering, who is this man? What is going on here? Why are all these people following him? Why are people saying that he is John the Baptist reincarnated? He's a miracle worker, etc. I think about the paralytic, and I heard a talk on this once. It might have even been part of a retreat. 
where, you know, the paralytic couldn't get to Jesus, legitimately couldn't get to Jesus. And so his friends had to open up a hole in the roof and lower him down. So, and I, when I heard this talk, it was a couple of years ago, they were saying, whoever was giving the talk, I forget who it was, but the person was saying, this is what we have to do. This is what we are called to do. We can't accomplish this perfectly because we have to respect people's free will. But for whatever reason, people don't get to Jesus. And so we have to carry them. You know, we can't change their will, but we can at least help facilitate the encounter. I just saw, and I mentioned this a day or two ago, the movie Nefarious about the person that was possessed. And it does teach us a lot. The movie does teach us a lot about how evil works. A lot of people are saying it's one of the greatest things out there as far as how the devil thinks, how the devil works, very similar to the screw tape letters. One problem that I have with it is that the demon is being honest and that's not what demons do, but maybe that was just a literary, uh, technique to teach us, to, to help us to, uh, you know, to learn the lesson of the story of, of what the, you know, learn the lesson of the author trying to teach us about evil. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to mention about that is that this person in, in, in accordance with this reading, the person is, um, I'm sorry, I'm just a little distracted because I need the phone to get the reading. I should probably just read the reading from a book because I'm reading it from my phone and now the phone is ringing. Okay. All right. It stopped ringing. Uh, the person in that movie that was possessed could have still turned to Jesus. That person could have gotten an exorcist. There were still things that person could have done. Now the priest in the movie was not helpful because he didn't believe in the devil. So we had a liberal priest and this is why it's dangerous. A lot of times priests that are more liberal, uh, tend to get put in situations that aren't mainstream. You know, they're not in a parish. They're placed in a prison or a hospital. Well, what a shame that is then for the person that's dying or the person that could be possessed or this or that, that doesn't get a good priest to, you know, at least help them with some deliverance and maybe get them to an exorcist. This priest was probably in prison ministry because they didn't know what else to do with him. And then he encounters this possessed person and then he just, oh, well, it's probably just a psychological illness, blah, blah, blah. So he's not able to help the person. But this person still could have changed, but the person felt so completely helpless. And the demon that was in the person's head literally just, just spewing forth lies to this man that was possessed um, was just telling him there's no hope for you. There's no hope. You're going to end up in hell. Just blaspheme, curse the Lord, whatever. Just, you know, have no hope. You're going to die. You're going to hell. It's inevitable. There's no hope for you. And... I guess one of my points in giving the sermon today is that there's always hope. There is hope. There's hope in Jesus and there's hope in his church. And sometimes we have to be the source of that hope for people. I don't know who Herod would have had that could have been a source of hope for him. And maybe the Lord permitted that, that there would be no one to get close to Herod other than Jesus when he's on his, you know, his trial. Um, because, you know, Herod had killed John the Baptist. Herod had forfeited hope when he did that. But still, you know, I don't know. Was anybody praying for Herod? Maybe someone could have gotten to Herod. Who knows? I would imagine the Blessed Mother would have been praying for him while she's still there on earth. 
And who knows? Herod could have had a deathbed conversion. Anything is possible. But Herod wanted to see Jesus. There was nobody to take him. There was nobody to make the connection. That movie, Nefarious, has a man, and there was nobody to make that connection for him to a priest that was a good priest, to an exorcist. And that's what he needed to give him some hope. I think about others that I know in my life who maybe are struggling with depression, for example, and I've encouraged them to seek the help that they need other than just taking pills. And they say they just can't. They don't want to address things that are so painful. And so I pray for people like this in my life. And I try to be that person when I can that bridges that gap to say, hey, at least tell me about what's what's holding you back. Let's talk about it. I remember one time, and I'll never forget this story. It happened to me when I was about 20 years old. I was, um, you know, just planning to do things in the church, a career in church ministry. And there were some friends there and some people that were not my friends. And in a sense, they were trying to talk me out of some of these things. And I ended up getting in this long argument with this young woman about church teaching. And we went on and on and on back and forth. And she was just attacking with all cylinders, you know, running. And I was uh, using theology to fight her off. And at the end of the conversation, when it was all done, I came to realize she had abuse in her past. And I I think, I forget the exact story, but I think it was her grandfather was very religious, went to church all the time, and he abused her. And so therefore, religion is bad in her mind. And therefore, what should I have done? Instead of throwing intellectual arguments at her, perhaps I could have um, ministered to her wounds in a way, emotionally speaking. Perhaps I could have asked her, and this is what I do now more and more, instead of getting into the argument, I'll say, well, tell me, you know, where do we have common ground? And when we start to diverge, why are we diverging? And if it's because of abuse, then that needs to be healed before we can win intellectual arguments. This is the challenge teaching in a school. You know, you can give kids in a classroom to, you know, catechetical truths to write down, but a lot of them are hurting. A lot of them have not been evangelized. And then some that have or haven't been still have experienced some abuse that keeps them from taking in the truths of our faith and ingesting them properly, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And therefore, Uh, They need to be tended to. Those wounds need to be tended to. And so this is where we come in, realizing once again, and I preach about this all the time, we are called to be intercessors. We are called to be evangelizers. But very often being an evangelizer doesn't mean hitting people over the head with the Bible or the Summa or the... uh, the Vatican II documents or the documents of the Council of Trent or what have you. And that's very often what people just want to do. Sometimes, man, I'm trying to have a catechetical or evangelical conversation with somebody and somebody else, a so-called friend will get in my way because they just want to jump on with some arguments and tell the person how stupid they are. When in reality, I'm learning more and more and I'm trying to do this more and more, minister to where the person is hurting, minister to the need, minister to the pain. And the more we do that, the more chance we have then of winning that person for Christ, especially if we can get that person to accept prayer 
and maybe healing of memories to bring Jesus back into the memories. When this happens, it tends to be very successful to see Jesus come into a person's mind, into their heart, into their memories and heal them. And yeah, it's good things to learn more about. But at the very least, you know, just as Our Lady would do if she was ministering to the apostles right there in front of her, which she did, you know, we have to tend to the heart. We have to constantly intercede for people, maybe even fast for people. And while we're doing that, when we do talk to them, realize like, all right, this person is hurting. There's a lot of hurts. There's a lot of pains. It's kind of like that little kid that should believe in Santa Claus and doesn't. It's like, all right, what's going on there? You come to find out, well, the kid asked for a gift when he was four or five. Not only did he not get the gift, but that was when dad left. And there are, you know, kid asked Santa Claus, bring dad back. And he's not able to do that. And then they don't want to ever believe in Santa Claus again, even though they're still at that very young, impressionable age. Now, there's all the kinds of moral issues with Santa Claus and what we tell our kids. That's not what I'm talking about here today. What I am talking about is a child's heart being so precious, so vulnerable and needing to be shepherded carefully, tenderly with great love, with great affection. And for whatever reason, we have so many broken people in the world because their hearts have been broken in different ways, very often in their childhood. And we are called now to help heal those hearts in whatever way we can. So let's ask the Lord to show us how to do it. And let's ask the Lord to give us the grace to do it. Have a great day. God bless you.